questions stay in the bounds of the Scripture. They can ask anything they want as far as about the Scriptures. You know, they can't get up and talk about, you know, it's not a Calvinism debate. It's not a recovering fundamentalist debate. It's, it's not a philosophical debate. We're talking about the Bible itself. So if you have a question about the Scriptures, translations, manuscripts, whatever, that's inbound. So you can ask a question, and they get five minutes to answer it. So Nathan will get one question. Somebody will ask him a question. He gets five minutes to answer it. Mitch will get a question, five minutes to answer it, and we'll go like that for an hour. Unless we see that there's still a lot of questions, and both the participants are still really engaged, and the crowd's really engaged, and if they're willing, maybe maybe we go a little longer. Right. You know? And even with the questions earlier, uh, the, the, the questions I'm asking, the three questions, if, if we hit a question, and Brother Michael, if all of a sudden we, we go seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes, so now we've done 28 minutes, 14 minutes apiece, but we feel like this question has still got a lot of traction, there's still a lot left to talk about, both participants feel like they want to say more on this, we may add some extra time. We've talked about that with both of them, and they said, look, if it's like that, we, we may do that on the fly. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be totally out of it. I told them the only thing where I'll interject myself is if one of the participants starts going off the rails, getting way out of what we're here to deal with, which is the Scriptures. So, you know, if you start going way out the way, then it'll be my job to get up and say, all right, hold on, get back on topic. we we got to get back to what we're here for. But other than that, I'm just going to be sitting back like the rest of y'all, enjoying myself and, and learning and enjoying it. So, man, it's going to be good. Uh, you're coming, right? Right. You already got your hotel room booked? Yes, sir. we got five or six people coming, so awesome. we're taking up all your hotel rooms there. Come on, come on we, man. Hey, y'all, uh, the, uh, that was going to be one of my questions. I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking... Um, it could become a, a stage for promoting this recovering fundamentalism to to a new audience, you know. But you've already answered that, so. And, and I know uh, you're exactly right, and that so we that's not what we're going to do. And I and I personally talked with Nathan about this. As a matter of fact, in the rules of the debate that I sent to both men, I put this in the rules that this is not a debate dealing with recovering fundamentalism. This is not a debate, and I don't know how much you know about either one of these guys. Um, Brother Mitch is not only a staunch King James Bible believer, but he's he's staunch uh, anti-Calvinist, real real staunch, and he, he'll go to bat for that kind of thing. Well, Nathan leans Calvinistic. I don't know that he just leans it. I think he sniffs all five points of the two of them. Yeah. You know, hey, God bless you. That's your business. That's not what this debate is right. about. I've even told Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch, I, I don't want, this is not a time for you to try and straighten him out on the five points of Calvinism. Right. This debate has nothing to do with that. Couldn't care less if he believes, you know, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. It doesn't matter to me. Couldn't care less. This debate is simply about the scriptures. So I don't want, I don't want Brother, Brother Mitch to get off in the weeds trying to go after a Calvinism angle, because that's not what it's about. And I certainly don't want Nathan to get off in the weeds trying to proselytize right. you know, people that, well, you know, old-time way don't work, and, you know, we need new music, and we need this, and we need that, and the third, and you guys are stuck in tradition and blah, blah, blah. That's not what this is about. Right. It is all about the Scriptures themselves. You know, and as long as they stay in the bounds of the Scripture, I'll basically just sit back and let it run. As long as it's, you know, and wherever that is, whether that's talking about the King James Bible, New Modern Versions, where the manuscripts themselves come from. Anything in the ballpark of dealing with the scriptures, knock yourself out. Right. Okay, that's good. We're looking forward to that. Now, um, I think maybe you've been the pastor of that church where you're at now for two or three years. Three and a half years. Why don't you tell us about that? Is it your first pastorate? What you've maybe just, you know, a couple of minutes on something big you've learned since you became a pastor and then or tell the name of your church and and a little bit of stuff like that so the church i pastor is bible missionary baptist church in rockland north carolina it's been in existence for 
little over 30 years, I think around 35 years, something like that, I'm the second pastor that the church ever had. So they have a good history of, you know, only it's not like a bunch, they've had a big turnover. Um, I was in a full-time evangelism for 12 years from South Georgia. Uh, had kind of, it, it, early in my role of evangelism and before my role of evangelism, I'd served as assistant pastor to my pastor, Brother Danny Zorn, um, they're Emmanuel Baptist in Lyons, Georgia. And so this church, I've been preaching revivals for them for 10 years before I became the pastor. Every year I'd come preach revival for them or preach at their camp meeting or missions conference, something like that. So, And I preached a lot in this area. I know a lot of pastors in this area and preached a lot here. So, <coughs> excuse me. So when they, when their former pastor had to step down for some reasons, um, they had approached me immediately about taking it, and I'll be honest, I, I thought I would die in evangelism, or if I ever took a church, it would simply be maybe my home church years down the road. You know, if my if my pastor decided, you know, when he was old, that he decided he wanted to step aside or something like that years and years down the road, well, maybe then I only live five minutes from the church. I was a member there for years and years. I'd just step in behind my pastor and keep doing evangelism and preaching there but the Lord had other plans moved us up here and so we've been here for three and a half years um, I would say as far as things I've learned since I've been in the pastor for three and a half years obviously in evangelism um, you kind of blow in blow up and blow out you know you, you come in preach and out you go any small problems or large problems or anything you just leave that with the pastor it's not like you got to deal with it. So obviously, you know, I, I enjoy people, though. I mean, it, you know, some guys talk about, you know, they, the dealing with people or dealing with this and that. They just don't like it. I, I like I like people. People are my life. I'm a people person. I enjoy fellowshipping with people. I enjoy talking with people. So uh, the people part, does I enjoy that. Sometimes, you know, some of the small squabbles or little things can get aggravated. But I'll, I'll have to say this. God's been good to us in the three and a half years I've been here. You know, we've had little issues or dealt with little things here, but by and large, God's given us some really good people, seen folks saved, seen folks join up, and it's it's been really, really good. Um, I'll be honest, Brother Michael, there were things I needed in my own life that I didn't even know I needed that God put in my life since I've been here. Right. Uh, that ministered to me. And so, we've, you know, we've got a good little contingent of some young guys who've been called, saved and called to preach since they've been here, and they're excited and on fire. We brought a couple of them, two or three of them, up to y'all's place for the youth rally back in uh, April and May. And so, um, you know, th those things are just absolutely invaluable. It's been a real blessing. Yes, sir. So, uh, that the youth I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else now. I, I mean, I really enjoy it. You know, I, I didn't move up here with the idea that I would only be here, you know, for a few years to try and help them get back on track and then leave. I mean, my plan is to die here. Oh, amen. I don't want to leave. Amen. So do you teach Sunday school, preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, all I three do. of those? Yeah, so a normal week for me, I'll just give you a normal week and then we'll just talk about the church specifically, but a, a normal week for me, and it'll be the same way this week, is I'll teach Sunday school Sunday morning, lead the choir, preach Sunday morning, preach Sunday night, and then leave and go preach a revival somewhere Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, come back, do Bible Institute 5.30 Thursday night, and preach church service. We have our church on Thursday night, and then preach Thursday night for church. So normally about the only two days that I don't preach during the week is Friday and Saturday unless, like last week, I preached on Friday night and then we normally go street preaching on Saturday morning, take some of the boys out. So, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, that's one of the things I missed the most about evangelism was teaching. Before I got into evangelism, um, years ago, my pastor let me teach the adult Sunday school class, and I loved it. I, I, brother... I, uh, one thing I missed immensely in evangelism was just being able to anchor in a book and teach verse by verse, Out, outline a passage and then just teach verse by verse through a book. And so I'll, I'll be honest with you, because mostly what I do is preaching, and for years that's what people brought me in to do in evangelism and, and still go out and do a bunch of it. That's mostly what I do. So to me, the, the teaching part is like a welcome break. 
from that. And it's just, it's kind of a different gear, you know, and I, I, just, I really enjoy that. I really, really do. Yes, sir. And it's, it actually takes a little bit to switch gears from the uh, oh, yeah. teaching to preaching. It's not the same. It's not the same animal at all. No, it's not. So we want to talk to you, uh, and the main purpose of the program is to hear kind of what you were preaching about yesterday. You can take them one at a time, or you can do kind of all three kind of mashed up together. Not so much as what you did say, what you did say, but the topic you were talking about, and maybe some things you didn't get to say during the course of the day. I know from time to time, uh, I'm not a very good outline follower. Uh, I'll have uh, a few things that I want to say, and I might get two of them, and one of them I didn't get to, and I'll go home regretting that and um, yeah. sometimes praying about it and thinking it was the right thing, but I'll let you go ahead and take off with that. Um, so, Sunday school, Sunday school, we're in 2 Corinthians. We, we went through all of 1 Corinthians um, last year, so we just kind of, in the last eight or... I don't know, eight or ten weeks we've been in Second Corinthians and we were in chapter four. Now I esteem chapter four and chapter five of Second Corinthians to have some of the greatest practical verses for the for the Christian. Yeah. Man, they're just like fantastic. You know, chapters one, two, and three were pretty good in Second Corinthians, but chapter four and five, they're man, they're chock full, just really, yeah. really good stuff. Um and normally the way my method of, of going through when I'm teaching, just to try and help the people follow me a little better, instead of just, even though I do go verse by verse, and then we run a lot of references, which is also a little different than when I'm preaching. I try not to run quite as many references when I'm preaching. But in teaching, I try and, man, will anything pertaining to that verse, I'll try and run it. Um, so I also try and give them a little outline. So like chapter 4, my outline for chapter 4 is verses what is it, verses 1 through 5 is our responsibility as a Christian. Verses 6 through 15 is our reflection as the Christian reflecting Jesus. And verses 16 through 18 is our realization as a Christian. We realize our light affliction yeah. you know, as far as anyway. So yesterday we were in dealing with the reflection part of it and how suffering brings out the reflection of Jesus Christ. Um, I didn't end up getting to go over to, I wanted to hit Matthew 20, 28, and I missed that, but Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not be ministered unto, but to minister. Give his life a ransom for many. That We really had hammered verse 12 for a while. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Um, you know, and I don't know how you kind of exposit that passage personally, the way I exposit it is, Paul is saying, if we're going to do anything that's going to bring life in you, we've got to die. Right. Um, so the only way to really produce spiritual life in somebody else is if a Christian dies to himself. And man, we hammered on that for a while. And um, and Jesus, so Jesus said, look, I, I didn't come to be ministered unto. I came to minister. John 12, is set the corn of wheat, fallen to the ground, and died about alone. But if it died, bring it forth much fruit. Right. So... We, we dealt with that. I will share this, and, I, and my, some of my people kind of laughed about it because I shared it during Sunday school, and then I hit it again during 11 o'clock. But it was so good, I couldn't help it. I seen a statement the other day that was a blessing to me in dealing with having joy in the Christian life and, and being able to serve God and serve others. This was a statement I read that helped me. It said, the Christian life is a lot like tennis. If you don't learn how to serve, you won't be very good at it. That's right. <laughs> That's, that's right. pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, if you don't learn how to serve in the Christian life, it's all about you. I told him, I said, if you if you want to be a miserable Christian, here's how to have a miserable Christian life. Make your Christian life all about yourself. Yeah. No you'll, doubt. You'll just hate it. You'll just you'll just absolutely hate your Christian life. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. That uh, that verse you pointed out, uh, death worketh in us, but life in you. We spent quite a bit of time a little bit ago talking about that. Uh, debate that you're going to have the recovering fundamentalists and I think that ties in with the, you. I think you get a lot of recovering fundamentalism when you go to a camp meeting this day and time It's it all has to be positive yeah. uh, when you know we don't want to hurt nobody that's like a, the biggest catchphrase out there and I understand the catchphrase I just don't believe too many people has been hurt at church I think people get hurt at home 
and then they expect the preacher to fix it. But the the uh, everybody has the expectation that I ought to just be able to live. I, I shouldn't taste death. I shouldn't have any negativity. There shouldn't be anything ever negative. It's just we're uh, you talk about recovering fundamentalists. Most people are just thinking that life, especially the Christian life, should be just recovering. Period. And the Christian life is about recovering, but you still have to die daily, and there has to be there has to be some negativity, especially if we're supposed to judge ourselves. But I think that's I think that is probably, and I don't know a great deal about recovering fundamentalists but I would be willing to bet that that's a large part of their message is that we're saved we've already recovered now all we got to do is just every day all day be happy and not have any check this out listen just what you're talking about so there's another little group that I just saw the other day somebody else had reposted or something like that but they're kind of in that same vein of the recovering fundamentalists. These guys, and, and I don't remember what their name is. It's two two goofballs. I don't even know who they are. I just saw somebody repost. Good names. Yeah, that should be what they call. <laughs> but they're in the same vein. I think they've got a little show or podcast, something like that. Literally, these guys claim to be Christians, and they're they're like they're they're in the same vein, like buddies. Like basically, be like you and me. So I'm not you, and you're not me. But we're pretty much like-minded in the same place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So these two dudes, when they do their little show, they literally sit there and drink while they're doing oh, it. Man. Talking about spiritual things. But Thank they feel like man. they got liberty to drink yeah. liquor while they're talking about spiritual things. Man. I can't I imagine that. that. I can't imagine well, that. Honestly, honest to goodness, I just... I'm, I'm I'm more of a black and white individual. I hate all the gray stuff. I'm like what Paul said: let your yea be yea, your nay nay, and um, you know, promises of God are in Christ, yea and amen. You know, it's see the black and whites, yes or no. And yeah. I just see a lot of this recovering fundamentalist stuff, brother. And some of these guys going this way. It is all it is is a opportunity to satisfy the lusts of the flesh. All it is is an opportunity to do it, but have liberty to right. do whatever you want. You don't call me out on it. Do what? You, you, you don't call me out on it, and I'll feel better. <laughs> what, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, just as an example, I, I preached a message on... Um, I preached a message on depression one time, and another preacher, um, mostly a good guy, I don't really have anything against him, but he said, uh, you know, if you you shouldn't be preaching about depression because if you do, you'll get depression and then God will show you what it's about. And I'm like, well, man, I'm a human being. I'm a man just like, just like you are. I have the same emotions, the same passions. But the thing about a watchman is you get shot with the arrow first. You, the guy guarding the wall gets hit first. And that's what Paul is saying there in that passage. We have to die. We have to take the arrows. We have to... We have to fight the fight in order for you to... It's just like 4th of July coming up. Somebody had to die for you to enjoy the freedom. And, and that's a that's a big thing. Preachers, I, in this day and time, and I'm not down on preachers, but um, preachers have an expectation of pastoring a church, running 500 in Sunday school, and, and not having to ruin their reputation to help their congregation so you're fine I'm fine we're all fine and that's the extent of it I think and there's you this this isn't the life you get to live you don't get to live your own life after you get saved especially when you get called to preach so but that 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 it's a great I, verse you know something you said right there because I see a lot of this when you said, you know, preacher doesn't want to ruin his reputation. And when you say ruin your reputation, I'm not talking about like messing it up. Right. Like you've got a bad testimony by right. falling into sin. I'm right. against that too. Sure. What you're talking about and what I wanted to key in on is well, we don't want to, in the eyes of the world or anybody else, we don't want to look too hard or we don't want to be uncouth or anything right. like that. Brother, I, I am so discouraged, aggravated, and burdened. Where are... Where are the, the Carl Lackeys of this day, hmm. in our day? Where right. where are the Old Testament prophet-type preachers? And I know we're not prophets in the right. New Testament, 
but but that style of what they were. Where are the Elijahs? Where are the Elishas? Where are the Micaiahs that 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 Ahab said, I hate that guy because he never prophesied <laughs> good towards me. Right. Right. Where, Paul's I, I've showed our church this in Second Corinthians. Paul describes and, and says what others describe his preaching as in four ways in Second Corinthians. These are the four things that Paul said and others said about Paul's own preaching. Second Corinthians three, he said we use great plainness of speech. Right. Second Corinthians chapter ten, he said his bodily presence is weak, but his speech is contemptible. So he says he uses plainness, contemptibleness. Then in chapter eleven, he said, "Though I be rude in speech." Now he says it was with rudeness. And then chapter thirteen said, "If I come to you, I'm gonna come to you with sharpness, sharpness." How many preachers do you know today that when they preach, it's plain, contemptible, slightly rude, and sharp? Not very many. Not very and many. And so we're living in a day where these preachers, they want it, like you said, they, they want to be so... Yeah, we still want to believe the Bible and preach the Bible, but we almost like, we want to look respectable in the eyes of the Kiwanis Club or yeah. the Moose Club. We want to look respectable in the... Well, look, I, I want to have a good testimony that I'm a man of God and I'm a preacher. I'm not looking to be respectable in the eyes of doctors and lawyers and bankers but as far as they look and say, well, he's a respect. I'm not looking to be the first Baptist guy. Right. I'm looking to preach truth and do it in the unction of the Holy Ghost. And, and you know, I don't know about some of this stuff. Like, these guys just got no guts today, uh, man. You said, you said man of God, so that takes you out of the... Uh that takes you out of the conversation with most preachers. They don't even want to hear that word no more, man of God. That that's ridicule. You know, you get ridiculed for even using a yeah. uh, term like that today. Uh, All of the recovering fundamentalists ridicule that term. They don't believe that term has anything to do with being a preacher or a, a, a proclaimer of the word of God. They believe that every man who is saved is a man of God. Mm, I, that's, that's not my experience. <laughs> Yeah, that's not Bible. No. No, and everybody that's not saved, I mean, everybody that's saved is not a man of God or a woman of God. They could be, right. but but they're not. They're definitely not. Uh, oh, but at any rate, we could talk about that all day. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's move on into your Sunday morning, Sunday morning service. Man, hey, it's dangerous when a Baptist preacher starts enjoying his own preaching. <laughs> uh, I, I, I told our church uh, last night, I think it was, I said, all of y'all could have walked out at, on point one Sunday morning, and it wouldn't affect me. No, no, I just kept on preaching. Kept I was having a good time. Amen. Point number one. Um, preached out of Exodus 21. Let me flip over there so I can read it exactly. Exodus 21. Uh, why are you flipping? It's kind of interesting. Something I had never seen before as far as the one of the first laws that God gives after he deals with the Ten Commandments. So he deals with Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And then in chapter 21, the first judgment that he sets before them from verses 2 to 6 is about if you buy a Hebrew servant and he serves for six years, let him go out free on the seventh. But this is what a key in on verse 5 said, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. And then they bore his ear through with the all. Right. So I just, I, that's what I preached on. I preached on, I love my master. So now I know we live in a day to where you talk about being a slave or a servant. You know, the wokeism crowd comes down on you. And so you can't talk about stuff like that. Um, hey, I'm glad to be a servant. Yeah. I'm glad to be a slave. I'm, you know, um, if, if, if you, you know, if you feel like, Man, I wouldn't want to be a servant to anybody. Maybe it's because you haven't read, met the right master. Right. Absolutely. And you meet Jesus. So I preached on I love my master because of a, he made a purchase. You know, he bought that guy. Something I'd never seen before on that is when you buy that guy, obviously he had got himself messed up financially. Right. That's why he had to be bought. He, he got himself messed up in a spot where he done something, in a blunder, a mistake. So it was all his fault. You know, it's all our fault, the reason why we're bankrupt spiritually. It's nobody's fault but ours. And um, But when the good man buys the servant, he doesn't just buy him. 
he has to assume his debt as well. You can't just buy the servant. you got to buy off the debt that's over him, too. Yeah. And I ever more had a time yesterday preaching about yeah. some of that out there to praise the Lord. He didn't just buy me. He bought my debt off, too. That's paid right. My debt off. That's and right. I just, had, I just had a big time just running around hollering, I love my master. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I, uh, Lester Roloff said if a man don't like his own preaching, he should quit. Exactly yeah. Right. yeah, man. Yeah, I, I I wish more people enjoyed the preaching. Now, I I have been perturbed by some folks. Some you meet them, the first thing they say is, "Hey, I preached this yesterday, or I said this, or I said that." That gets kind of old. But I, I mean, it's not that I'm not. It's not that I'm not interested, but I would like to ask, you know, first before. That's right. Let me ask you first. <laughs> uh, but at I've any rate. Guys, I've met some guys before that unprovoked. They said, man, I'm telling tell you what, I've been doing some good preaching. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad. But, I, you know, I, I really uh, I really do like to see guys that are having fun, though. It, it, it's a great thing. It really is to be able to preach. And, you know, I came from Georgia being a pastor to being an assistant pastor here man like I'll take any opportunity you know you know uh, brother Allen don't have to beg me to preach around here amen, amen. amen. but but at any rate uh, yeah that's good that, that um that part about assuming the debt you know you kind of that whole that whole passage of scripture that whole part of the scripture right there uh I don't know what you do or anybody else does I, I started to say we but I end up hurrying through that whole uh, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy part. It seems like it's a, maybe all of us do it, but I know I do it. I kind of rush through that to get through, you know, to other things. But yeah, that's that's good. That's real good. I'll be honest. In the last in the last several years, um, man, that that Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, especially somewhere in, in those right there. I I preach so many of the just pictures of the church, pictures of Jesus. And obviously, look, I know we're dispensational. I teach our boys in Bible Institute where the lines are dispensationally, what's written directly to us. But by that same token, man, Paul said, whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning. We through page of coming to Scripture might have open. Then he said in, was it 1 Corinthians 10, when he talked about Moses and the rock was Christ and and how they murmured and complained, and it said all these things were written for our ensamples. Right. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Uh, man, I don't have a problem in the world going in that Old Testament preaching them, because I think that's as far as now for us in the New Testament, that's what it's all there for. We, right. We see what they didn't see on this side of the cross. We see all them pictures and types of what it was all about. Yes, sir. And, man, I think some of the greatest preaching on the New Testament church can be found in like Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers as far as Stephen called it the church in the wilderness. Right. It's an assembly. It's a called out assembly. They're fought with blood by a lamb. They're a called out assembly. They got a pastor. They got scripture. They got a place they worship. And I know we, we're, the, we're the temple now. I get that. But man, they got songs they sing. They fighting and fussing all the time. You know, they're, they're <laughs> heading to a country. They're walking through a wilderness. My God, man. Right. If a fella can't preach on the New Testament church out of that, I don't know. He's up creek without a paddle. I'm, you know, I, so my pastor graduated PBI back in the 80s. And I almost think like some of these guys that came out of PBI, they, they got almost so dispensational that like they can't ever preach anything out of the Gospels or, or you know, or even devotionally applying stuff from the Old Testament, things like that. But this was my experience with Brother Ruckman. This was my experience. I heard him, you know, I, I know you was around him. Didn't you go, didn't you graduate PBI? I didn't graduate there, no. Oh. But okay. it's okay. I'm, I'm following you. A lot more than, than I was and all that. I mean, I, I heard him preach in person eight to ten times. I heard him preach in person a, a, a good many times. I would say, I've got them in my Bible. This Bible I'm looking at right here, I've got several of his outlines in my Bible. Matter of fact, let me see if I can find one of them right now that he that he preached out, out of like Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to find it immediately. Uh, but he would take stuff 
straight from passages that I know in his commentaries that I've got. He would say, I didn't read those, man. I didn't read those. Right. I've read the little Jews over there, man. That's what, you know, but he would take a passage straight from there and preach it to the church. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, and just, but it would be a devotional application. I don't know. There's, there it is right there. 8-12-2005. So August the 12th, 2005, Brother Peter Ruckman, out of Mark chapter 8. Whosoever therefore should be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glorious Father of the Holy Angels. That ain't even talking to the church. No. He never uses Son of Man when talking to the church. And I'm not telling Brother Ruckman anything. He don't know. God help. He right. knew this. But he preaches to the church out of this, and this is what he preached on. Reasons not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Yeah. One, he wasn't ashamed of you. Uh, two, you'll begin to doubt your salvation. Three, you'll backslide. Four, because heaven is coming. Right. <laughs> that was his outline on that. <laughs> Had nothing to do necessarily doctrinally with that passage, but devotionally it made a fantastic preaching sure. opportunity. And so uh, I think sometimes we're doing ourselves. With, with, I am as dispensational as anybody. Like I say, I teach these boys this stuff. I understand this stuff. You made a statement. You, you don't even know that it was a blessing to me. But I think you commented on one of Brother Jesse Craigle's posts here a while back. Or maybe you made your own standalone post. I can't remember on Facebook. But you said you don't read your Bible necessarily looking for the dispensational lines. Right. You're reading your Bible looking for the Holy Spirit, the author of the book, to speak to your heart. Right. No matter where you're at in your Bible. Right. Man, I think that's fantastic. Right? Yeah, that's... I, the, um, I believe, you know, in James it tells you to call for the elders of the church, anoint with all if somebody's sick, and it says to confess your faults. So I, I believe that, and I do that. I do that right now, but the the only pushback I've ever had from that is uh, is from guys who graduated from PBI. That's not for us. That's not for us. And my standard response to that is is you'll preach, you know, James chapter one. Uh, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Or you'll preach, be doers of the word and not hearers only. But I can't pray. Uh, and I can't confess my faults and expect God to do something for me. When I, in my experience, if you call for the elders of church, you anoint with oil, you confess your faults, which is difficult to do publicly, you hu humiliate yourself in that fashion. You know, we don't have to whip ourselves like a Catholic, but humility is a is a great part of Christianity. God has, I have seen God answer prayers time and time again. But the and I I love Doctor Ruckman with all my heart, but I I think sometimes it's like Doctor Ruckman said about Luther and Calvin, and he always quoted. It's actually an older quote than Doctor Ruckman, but he he always quoted about men that wasn't willing to go further than Luther or further than uh, Calvin hurt themselves by not doing that, and it seems like. It seems like PBI, well, PBI is just made up of people, and I don't have nothing against any of them, but it's it's still a problem that if you can't get anything out of James or Peter, which are general epistles, a lot of people say they're tribulation epistles, they're general epistles written long before uh, the tribulation. You know, they weren't written at the beginning of the tribulation. They were written long before the tribulation for the people who were there at that time. Who were part of the church, and I, I love it. I, James, Revelation, Genesis—they're all for me, and I'm going to use them as much Amen. as I can. Amen. Yeah, that's good. I, you know, and I and all like the same thing. Talk about some of this. Brother Ruckman had no problem doing everything you just said. Right, exactly. Brother, that that cat right there—I've heard him personally out of his own mouth. I mean, taking verses that was directly. You know, from David or Samuel or something like that, man, he he he'd use it for himself. Sure, all the time to good effect. Right, absolutely. <laughs> so this is what I was going to say. I have noticed this. Tell me if you haven't noticed this. Any 
I don't, I don't know the best way to use this, the best way to say this, so just take it in the spirit. I'm trying to say that any great man that God uses, polarizing figure, I don't understand, know exactly how to phrase it. Any great guy that God uses, the Sammy Allens, the Don Greens, the Harold Sattlers, the uh, Spurgeons, the Peter Ruckmans, the, the, these, these guys that are big personalities that God uses. They're not the crazies. That's right. But it seems like the people that come out from under them, they like take what they got and run to a new extreme with it. Right. Yeah. Most of those guys were friendly and balanced and and, and didn't get off balance and, and real crazy on anything one way or the other. But a lot of times the guys that sat under them will take a doctrine that was highlighted by that man and then run with it way off to an extreme right right I, I, those guys like I, I grew up under preacher lackey that guy would go anywhere and do anything with I mean he would he would be with Percy Ray he would be with Sammy Allen he would be with Don Green uh, he would be with a lot of people on a week-to-week basis that wouldn't even speak to one this pastor wouldn't speak with this pastor but he would be with both of them you know and, and that uh, it wasn't as sectarian uh, as it as it is today, and it, it seems like I think maybe some of these guys, w- without bad intention, maybe I don't know their heart. They might have bad intentions. I don't know, but uh, I would like to think that some of it is just trying to you know protect Dr. Ruckman's honor or promote Ruckmanism, perhaps you know to say you know this is a great man and he's gone but God's not gone the Bible's not gone Christianity's not gone you don't have to take up for Dr. Ruckman I don't have to take up for Preacher Lackey uh, you don't have to take up for Lester Roloff these guys spoke for themselves and you know I think you know um, Miss Lackey come pick me up on the bus I got saved uh, I'm preaching today uh, God gets the glory and God gets the credit for all that, but you know the fact that there's over you know sixty people that Miss Lackey led to the Lord personally who are preaching now. That I don't have to take up for her. Those sixty some guys are the yeah. proofs in the pudding. Uh, yeah, her work do follow her. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Doctor Ruckman's. Uh, work is what it is. It doesn't need defending. Like, you know, uh, we use it. We say we defend the King James Bible. Man, the book don't need defending. It just needs to be preached. And, you know, that takes a lot of pressure off my back, man. If I had, if I had to do that, it'd be, you know, if if my defense of the Bible or Dr. Ruckman uh, is what, you know, is what the future of the church depended on. The church is in bad trouble <laughs> because I'm just not able. Amen. And I, I want to live for the Lord. Dr. Ruckman had his chance. I, you know, I, I can't live that for him. I got to do what God wants me to do. But at any rate, let's get on with uh, Sunday night service. Uh, we actually had several things kind of happen last night. So Sunday night. Um, that's the choir saying such that we had a missionary come in. He, um, brother Kevin Hobson, he just stopped in. I met him at a jubilee. I preached here a while back, but he's he goes to a good church right up the street here from us, a little ways in Salisbury. But he's doing a ministry to the uh, police, such as that, in this area, and um, he did a um, did a good job. He didn't preach last night. I just gave him about five minutes, and he presented his work. Did a real good job. Had a lady in our church that um, she has a long, her and her husband been members of the church. They moved out here from Washington State. They've been members of the church now for about six months or so. A lot of preacher friends of mine from out that way know them. Brother Gary Lutrick knows them and some of them. And and everybody asked me, they said, have you let her sing yet? Have you let her sing yet? And I said, no, but we're getting around to it. It turns out she has a degree from the University of Michigan in singing. A degree in singing. A degree, brother. (laughs) Yeah. She got up, my daughter accompanied her last night. She sang that His Eyes on the Sparrow song. Man, she got a voice that just, it'll blow the rafters out. It was awesome. So, but then I I actually, I got, I started a series 
three weeks ago, I guess, uh, a little phrase out of Psalm 23 on um, where David said, Thou prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. So I've started a series on in the presence of my enemies. And so uh, the first one I did a few weeks ago was on Moses surviving in the presence of our enemies. How did Moses survive in the presence of his enemies? We're just going to walk through the Bible, a bunch of people that lived in the presence of enemies. But then last, this past Thursday night at church, I was doing Daniel on serving in the presence of your enemies. And um, it, it, I just, I never could get off point one. Point one was he had faithfulness, and that's why he served, you know, Daniel 6, 4, for as much as he was faithful. And just, man, that faithfulness thing just got bigger and bigger. And so I preached point one last Thursday night. So last night I did part two of serving in the presence of our enemies um, because of his friends and his future. And uh, really, I really just kind of hammered home really to the, to the church folk about the importance of having, and the Bible said in Daniel 2 that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Daniel's companions. It doesn't say that about anybody else in the book of Daniel. That was Daniel's companions, but it does about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I just really hammered home the, the importance of having the right companions and friends if you're going to serve and live for God in this day. You know, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And, uh, brother, I don't know what you see today, but I think one of the biggest things that are hindering our young people from living for God, when I say young people, I mean not just teenagers, but on up to, like, people in their 30s and all, biggest thing I see right now is they ended up marrying the wrong spouse. Mm. Either she married a guy that wasn't all in, and so now she can't live for God like she should because she got a husband and interested. Or vice versa. You know, this is what I see a lot of. A guy really has a heart to want to do something for God, but he marries this girl who she's just, she's not all in. She wants to just live a normal, average you know, come to church Sunday morning type life. That's all she wants out of life. But he's wanting more. And, um, man, it, um, I really kind of just hammered on that for a little while about getting that right companion in your life, finding yeah. that right mate in your life. It, I've seen that over and over and over again that they just kind of, you know, they only marry just either for, you know, for love or for looks or for whatever. You better be looking for the long term. If you got an right. if you got an idea that you want to live for God and serve God, you better make sure they got the same mindset that they're all in. Yeah, I know preachers in the ministry right now, brother. Preachers in the ministry right now that I mean they are great guys can preach a paint off the wall, got a touch of God on them, and bro, their wives are just like, well, that's his thing. Yeah, that's his thing. That's a sad deal too. Brother, that's rough. No doubt. I can't imagine. Uh, you know, I, maybe the reason why I can't imagine just my wife has always been there with me every step of the way, and she's a part of my ministry. Right. You know, she encourages me in the ministry, and she, she helps me live for God in this ministry. And she, especially pastor now, she's taken on so many different roles. She's an integral, key, serious part. Man, to see some of these guys whose wives, you know, in pastor nor evangelism, that it's just like, well, that's what he does. That's his thing. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Man, that, it's rough. Right. It's rough. You know, I, I, something that uh, strikes me about that is, is my wife is probably, you know, I'll get hit for this probably, but, you know, preachers are not looking for fans. But my wife is my biggest fan. She's like, I can't yeah. preach a bad message. I, I know for a fact that they're bad you know, I, I I stunk that one up. My wife's like, God, that was so good, you know. Uh, <laughs> but then I'll hear some other preachers say the dumbest thing on the planet, and she'll be like, amen, and I'll be like, well, that just tells me. <laughs> that tells me. She, but, no, here's the thing. Like, there is something. There's a big thing in the ministry about a pastor's son going in to pastor the church or a, a pastor's son, an evangelist son going into evangelism, they make a big deal about that. But we don't often make big deals about a pastor's uh, a pastor's wife. Well, let me, let me put this: a wife, a pastor's wife's daughter, 
marrying a preacher, which she doesn't have to. Uh, if you marry just for that, then you're then it's a bad shape. But my wife, my wife's mother was a pastor's wife, and she had a good example of you know not seeing you know her mother bash her father and disagree with her father on you know how to run the church or how to preach, telling him how to preach and stuff like that. And uh, but the image thing now you're talking about people marrying for for looks that's uh that's a big part of what's wrong you know people are you know facebook and for all of its good uses it's got a lot of bad uses too the the image centric uh way that people live their lives is teenagers now are you know when you see them get about 16 to 17 years old they start turning you know even in good churches they start you see the image change you see what they're looking for a good looking guy rather than a a godly guy and what we've got we we've got a lot of girls who really know how to be a good servant of the lord they know how to be a good pastor's wife but they at some point they take a step towards it's almost like choosing a career. I'm going to go for the fun rather than going for uh, the long term. <clears throat> and it, my wife really lives a blessed life being a preacher's wife. At, but we don't, we we never promote that. Like you and I, uh, um, maybe I'm a bad example, but people look at us and think, you know, that's a good life. I'd like to be a preacher. Not many girls see preachers' wives and say, that's a good life. Right. And that's right. what we need. Maybe, I don't know how we could promote that better, but, I mean, it, a lot of it is promotional. A girl chooses looks. A girl chooses uh, image. A girl chooses a hunk think, because it's I promoted. Think one of the reasons, I think one of the reasons on that, before you move on, I want to key in on that. I think one of the biggest reasons why what you just said, why it's not like the good image or the good look is because we are living in a day to where career is pumped so hard into our girls yeah. that you are to be an independent woman. You're to, you're to, you know, do your own thing. That's right. And all this kind of stuff. And yeah. And so the ministry is about basically you finding your fulfillment in that man and what God has called him to do. And yeah. you get in with him and follow him. You lose your identity in him and follow him. Brother, that's like anathema today. Right. Exactly. That's anathema today. I, I'm not giving up what I want to do for him. Right. I want to be this and I want to be that. I'm not. God didn't call me into this. God called him into this. He can go do what he wants to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, yeah. You know, and so... Brother, if a woman doesn't have the correct biblical heart, and see, this is the problem. We're, now we're kind of getting off on a little segue, but that's okay. I think it, it needs kind of to be talked about. Um, if the if the husband-wife relationship is supposed to mirror the Christian's relationship to the bride of Christ, my job as a Christian is to lose my identity in Jesus. Right. I'm supposed to I, I'm a Christian I lose my identity in Jesus he, he's the head and I lose myself in him whatever he wants is what I do wherever he goes is where I go I lose my identity in him well if, if we're there to mirror that as it comes down the wife is supposed to find her fulfillment her identity in her husband that's right now obviously He's supposed to be a Christian man, love God, and not be a fool. Right. <laughs> but if he's if he's serving God, living for the Lord, and trying to live by that Bible and raise his family for the for the glory of God, she should gladly lose her identity in that man. I was talking to some people here a while back, and um, and the wife greatly resented the fact this guy's in the ministry, and the wife greatly resented the fact that every time they would come to a meeting, they'd say, "Oh." You're so and so's wife, mm. not like knowing her name or calling her by her name, but say, "Oh, well, you're brother so and so's wife." And she greatly resented the fact it was like I have my own name. Yeah, oh, man, I got my own name. No, I'm not so and so's wife. I'm my own person. Well, if you got the right heart about this thing, you should say that's right. That's who I am. Yeah, 
my wife loves the fact that she is Cody Zorn's wife. Yeah. She has lost her identity in me. Yeah. And, um, man, you know, they're just such a, the world has infiltrated the church and so jacked up our priorities and mindset, especially among our young ladies. And our men have bought into it, too. Right. It's really jacked up. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian. That's not my own name. I'm from uh, White Plains Baptist Church, which is Carl Lackey's church. I have no problem with that. I'm Alan Ryman's son-in-law. You don't know how many times I get that. Yeah. Uh, but I, that doesn't bother me at all. You know, uh, from time to time they'll call uh, my wife up as. Uh, the Rymans, I said that she's not a Ryman, she's an Easter. But, but you know, th- that's neither here nor there. Uh, men have to identify themselves by not just God, but other men from time to time. Uh, I think the picture's being painted that all these men are, you know, we're trying to steal other people's identities and we're, you know, trying to. That's not the case at all. It's that God set it up in a certain way and doing it a different way you know these ladies that are i know you talked about ladies that are upset and bitter i've known many ladies that were upset and bitter you know they couldn't follow their dreams or anything like this but and so they they're looking for fulfillment they're looking for joy but doing things god's way and following god's plan lead you to the place where there is fulfillment there is joy there is peace because if if my if i live i'm a man but if i lived my life just for me there would be so many uh, discouragements so many disappointments that i couldn't count them all but only and it goes back to what you were saying about self a while ago there there is uh, if i spend all my time building up myself and my name then my world just starts existing in this little area right here that's where the disappointment the lack of joy the lack of peace the lack of fulfillment uh the lack of purpose uh they probably didn't appreciate it but in georgia at the uh in the parsonage that they provided for us my bedroom window uh, my bedroom uh light switch i painted over it uh, the word purpose and I put a arrow towards the front door this is not where I live this is where I sleep this is not where I live I live somewhere else I live for somebody else and once you find your purpose and you get some semblance of success in that purpose uh, your name doesn't matter anymore you've got peace living somewhere else living for somebody else doing something else besides keeping up you know I there has to be more to my life than making myself look better making myself smell better making myself you know more financially comfortable those things are the least important we were making huge money in Delaware and we went to De- we went to Georgia making three hundred dollars a week and it's the best thing that ever happened in our lives our, our marriage got closer our marriage got stronger our kids developed probably better than they would have had they had everything they wanted with all the money they needed and so i mean but the selflessness that it takes to go and do something like that is rare in the day that we live and i I think some attention probably needs to be paid to it in preaching which in in a good situation a good church that stuff is preached on but it's going by the wayside i think i agree amen Amen. So, well, we're looking, we're probably right at an hour now, so uh, if you want to, uh, we'll close out here in just a second. If you want to tell, I know you got a camp meeting coming up, if you want to give those dates, anything else you want to give the dates to, or uh, maybe you're preaching in another church sometime in the near future. So camp meet, uh, something that, uh, it's at a church about 30 minutes away from where I pastor here. Uh, it's at my friend's church, Brother Nathan Hamill's church. But our church supports it financially and with our people. So it's the Camp Canaan camp meeting. And uh, that's in Richfield, North Carolina. Uh, the dates on that are, hold on, hold the, dates up. the dates this year will be September the 20th through the 24th. 
September the 20th through the 24th. It starts on Monday night, goes through Friday night. And then we also have morning services Tuesday through Friday morning. So if anybody would like to come, um, they can pull it up online, reach out to us. And, um, you know, we put people in hotel rooms. We won't cost you anything. We feed you three meals a day and uh, have some good preaching and some good singing. That's September the 20th through the 24th. That's really, you know, other than our youth camp, our youth camp comes up in July. You know, that's but uh, yeah, that's obviously people that's kind of in our church and what we've already got signed up. That's the next big thing is camp is uh, teen camp and then then camp meeting in September. But yeah, the biggest thing that I'd like to invite people to right now is coming is that is the debate. Amen. So August the fourteenth at one o'clock. Matter of fact, David Neath just reached out to me the other day and said he wanted to come. So hopefully he comes down either with you guys yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we, I think we've already got several rooms reserved, so we, we got that taken care of, and uh, we'll be praying for it, and we'll be praying for, for your camp and all that kind of stuff. Pray for us. We appreciate your time for being oh, with us I today. I appreciate you letting me come on here. This was great, man. I really enjoyed it. Amen, brother. So, we'll do it again. Hey, how'd y'all's church service go yesterday? Oh, uh, we had, uh, we had um, a missionary... Uh, actually, a Rock of Ages prison guy come in and preach to us. He's uh, Brother McCracken uh, down Mississippi in Alabama, I think he was. And so uh, our folks, he preached a lot like uh, Brother Sammy Allen and his mannerisms and stuff like that. So our, our church got to see that. Uh, we never did have Brother Sammy come in here to preach, so they never met him, with the exception that we would... Uh, go up and take a van load from time to time up into Pennsylvania when he came up to Brother Mike Schweitzer's, which is pastored by Brother Ed Schweitzer, Trinity Baptist Church. But that was very interesting. Our people enjoyed that. And uh, so that was Sunday morning service. And then uh, Brother Joe Tuck, who uh, is the director of our bus ministry, he preached last night. And uh, so, so that was good talked about soul winning it was really really good uh, a lot of times we don't just focus on a whole message on soul winning is not what we're used to but he took a whole sermon and geared it towards soul winning that was pretty good and uh, uh, convicting stuff like that but uh, a typical Sunday up here is usually interesting you don't know what to expect brother Allen is not an orthodox Baptist uh, the the service can go several different directions. It could be, it could be anything at any time. So, so ser- services here are, are are interesting to say the least. But we have, uh, you know, our services are are all uh, broadcast live stream on YouTube, and so uh, anybody that wants to figure out what else went on or what was said, they could check that out at uh, Faith Baptist Smyrna. But um, and but let me put a shameless plug in. Yeah, go ahead. We, we have a YouTube page as well, Bible Ministry Baptist Church. So subscribe to that. Uh, y'all want to hear some more preaching. We don't live stream our Sunday school, but all of our Sunday school teaching is archived on that. So if anybody would like to. Say, say the address again. Bible Missionary Baptist Church. Okay. And that's yeah. on YouTube, right? On okay. YouTube. Okay. Yeah. All right, my brother. I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us this morning. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Love you, my friend. I love you too, brother. We'll talk to you later. All right, take care of yourself. All right, bye-bye. Recording stopped. Now you, okay, brother. I, it, it's it's finished recording now. Do you want me to uh, do you want me to publish this unlisted and send you a link to it so you can see it first, or you want it you nah, want me to just put it no, on? That's all right. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I won't yeah, add nothing to it. it. I'm, I'm fine with it. I didn't say anything out of bounds, did I? I don't think so. I, that thing about the PBI, man, that, uh, you know, uh, right from the pulpit, there, this church is full of uh, graduates from PBI. And I make it a point to get on their feet uh, quite a bit because they're kind of stuck there. And, yeah. you know, I... I I don't, you know, believe in the gap theory, and I kind of use that to my advantage. Just, 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 you know, it, I, I could care less about it, really. Right. But I still use it because I want the guys to think. Am I here to defend Dr. Ruckman? 
and it's not just Dr. Ruckman, it's Clarence Larkin, you know, I don't believe the devil ever was a, covered God's throne, you know, that whole passage, and I used that to get him to him, you got to think, man, look at the passage, look at the Bible, what does the Bible say, and that's, that's supposed to be the Dr. Ruckman uh, recipe, we believe the Bible, we don't believe Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist, Bob Jones University. We're not supposed to be sectarian. We're supposed to be Bible believers. But you know, uh, you, 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 Dr. Ruckman always said this, uh, talked about you know talking to Calvinists or Charismatics, and he would talk about showing them the verse, and they would read the verse, and then revert, re, read it plain English, and then revert back to whatever you know. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says it right here, and he would harp on that. And every PBI grad knows that. And so I took, uh, this is not a Ruckmanism thing, but it's a, you know, it's a Clarence Larkin thing, uh, even though most Ruckman followers believe it too. But you go to the, the passage in the Bible that talks about the devil and, you know, uh, thou wast in the garden of God. All those are past tense statements except for one, thou art the anointed cherub that covers and everybody uses that to say he covered God's throne which it doesn't say that it says thou art present tense the anointed cherub that covereth and that fits perfectly with 2 Corinthians chapter 4 he blinds the minds of them right he's a yeah. he's a cover yeah. thou yeah. art it's the only present tense statement in that whole passage. You were in the garden of God. You were this. You were that. You were perfect when you were created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covers. They can't see it. The, Dr. Ruckman believed it. Dr. Ruckman agreed with Larkin on it. They can't see it. It's impossible for them to see it. It's the gospel. Uh, yeah. Uh, an, another thing is uh, um, the uh, in the book of Genesis where it says it says this uh, exact, almost exactly I might mess it up quoting it but it says Cain knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare a son and called his name Cain but another verse says that he was of that wicked one so the devil had intercourse with Eve and produced Cain no Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare a son and called his name Cain. That There is no way around that. There's not any way. Uh, unless it's wrong. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't believe that either. Yeah, I don't believe that. But the, the guys that follow Dr. Ruckman, even some of the guys here, they're like, no, nah, man, because you got a verse with verse. I said, verse with verse don't cancel the verse. Oh, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, and, and I get that all the time. I'm like you. You say, you know, when you're preaching, you generally just use a verse. You don't run a lot of references. And they, I, I get, I catch slack from that here a lot uh, because I do preach here a lot and I teach Sunday school. And you don't use enough scripture. I said, well, you. I said you've got this, Doctor Ruckman thing in your mind that you have to give 9,000 references or it ain't true. You say scripture with scripture and you're talking about 1 Timothy with 1 John with the book of James. When I talk about scripture with scripture, I'm talking about 1 John 1 1 with 1 John 1 2 with 1 John 1 3. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That's the way I preach, brother. I'm more expositional. Yeah. Where when I'm preaching, I don't run a bunch of references. I quote a bunch of references. Sure. You know, I quote scripture, but I, I get a passage and I just preach down through the passage. My outline comes out of the passage, and I'll use five or six verses right there. But it all is textual. Right. I'm not making the people run off because I find when you do that in preaching, you start losing people. Yeah. If you'll keep it in the passage, they end up going home with more one cohesive thought. Right. But they don't understand it. They. The uh, what I tell these guys here is I was like you, you've read a thousand Dr. Ruckman commentaries and you've heard a thousand Dr. Ruckman messages. If Dr. Ruckman just barely mentions something, you know what he's talking about because you've already did all that study. 
you're talking to a congregation that works 50 hours a week and they got kids and they got a yeah. uh, they got doctor's appointments and they don't have this time well, they might have more time than they actually use but they haven't they don't understand what you're talking about when you say even when you say scripture with scripture they don't comprehend they don't so you get first john chapter one was written for a reason it means something as a whole and when you've got this idea where you you turn to romans 10 9 and you wrote out beside romans 10 9 romans 3 23 and you're just following this map you made in the bible that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people i'm not saying it can't help and not saying it's not a good idea it is a great idea in teaching but in preaching people's minds I get on to my girls all the time if they're riding with me in the car. They'll be on one subject and then another subject. And their their conversation changes subjects so fast it makes my head spin. I say, girls, y'all got to be quiet. <laughs> and if preaching does that same thing, people can't follow it. You, you, the, the devil don't make television shows that's about robbery five minutes and then lar- uh, uh, murder five minutes and then embezzlement five minutes no they make a whole show on murder or they make a whole show on adultery or they make a whole the devil knows if he finds a subject and sticks to the subject he can even keep them there for three hours sometimes lord of the rings three hours deal with one subject you can you can actually talk longer well you know i preach and people don't listen more than 15 minutes that's because you talked about 15 subjects in 15 minutes or you went to 15 different verses and that's not bad i'm not talking bad. it's just people get lost in that absolutely the 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 largest percent of a congregation is not sanctified other than other than the sanctified that comes with being saved but the largest part of the congregation they're not they're not even dedicated some congregations more than others but you generally not not helping by you know well that guy he preaches a lot of different sermons that's good but the effect of it is really i don't know we could talk about that all day you're right bro. <laughs> talk about it all day hey, i enjoyed it if you ever want to do it again holler at me we'll do it again sometime okay i'll give you a couple weeks notice okay okay brother i appreciate you yes sir see all you now all right we'll talk to you later all right, right bye bye Oh, it's going to take a long time.